This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Did you know Mecklenburg County has been identified of one of 25 areas by the federal government where the HIV infection rate per capita is extremely high? It's not a comfortable conversation to have, which brings us back to the fact that the stigma still exists. We're diving into this important topic with Chelsea Golden, president and CEO of Rain Charlotte. I'm Alex Elich, and this is the Charlotte Newsmakers Podcast. And for those who don't know, what is Rain and what do you all do? So, Rain is a nonprofit based here in Charlotte, and um, we have a variety of services for people who are living with HIV or who could potentially be at a high risk for HIV. Some of those services include peer support, medical case management, mental health. We have um, HIV testing, STD testing. We have a drop-in center for young gay men. We have a mobile unit that should be here within a month. We have a 25-unit apartment complex that houses people living with HIV. We help people get on insurance through the Affordable Care Act and help them pay their premiums. And an outpatient substance abuse harm reduction model. I'm on AIDSVU.org for anyone who's listening, and it really gives you an interactive, comprehensive map of essentially the HIV rates across the United States. And what's interesting, if you look at this map, Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, I mean, it is red, and that is where the higher cases are with the lower cases being in the yellow slash white range. And from this latest statistic in 2020, 657 of every 100,000 people in Charlotte were living with HIV. It's, it's a startling statistic and something that I personally wasn't aware of. And Chelsea, why do you think in your opinion that people aren't talking about this issue And we were talking before we started recording that you were saying that there really is still a stigma associated with HIV. The funny thing about this map uh, where you see all of the red and and it does break it down into zip codes is if you took a map of where we see poverty in Charlotte and laid it on top of this HIV statistic map, you would see a, a glaring similarity So a lot of the areas in Charlotte where we see higher rates uh, for HIV is also where we see higher rates for um, poverty. It's also HIV impacts people of color, people with trans experience, um, gay and bisexual men often had higher rates, men of color. Uh, And so these populations that are impacted are not ones that tend to be in the news a lot. Um, So I think that the general public or anybody who has not been exposed to what's really going on with HIV doesn't realize that HIV is still very much a problem. And Mecklenburg County has been identified as one of 25 areas by the federal government where the um, infection rate per capita is extremely high. So That is the negative side of it, but the positive side of it is that we are seeing a lot of federal money um, come into Mecklenburg County to address um, HIV prevalence and incidence. We were just talking about some of the social implications. I think housing um, is a a huge problem in Charlotte. 
Um, it is it is also a problem for people who are living with HIV. Uh, transportation, mental health, substance use. We see disproportionately high numbers of mental health diagnoses uh, and of substance use disorder in populations of people living with HIV. We also, um, if you think about it, if somebody is on an hourly job and they are struggling to make ends meet, even if they are stably housed, if they have an option to go into work and work overtime or go to their HIV doctor and get their medication refill, the immediate need for them is to stay housed. So they're going to choose work. Um, So we see some problems with keeping people in care, um, even that are stably housed and have um, mental health and don't have mental health or have mental health uh, well controlled or um, are in a period of abstinence for substance use or don't have substance use disorder. So we are looking at even, even people that don't have any of those sort of intersecting things um, still struggling uh, because of socioeconomic status. As a community, I mean, how do we help? How do we get involved? How do we alleviate this problem? Is it education? Is it volunteering? I mean, how can, how can we step in? I think there's a, a couple of different ways which the community can help. First is to talk about it, um, right? Education is important and we are still lacking education. We are lacking it from a young age, age appropriate education. We don't have to talk specifics, but we need to start to normalize some of the conversations. Testing, be an advocate for testing, go get tested, tell your friends to get tested, encourage. Again, that's not a comfortable conversation to have, which brings us back to the fact that the stigma still exists. Of course, volunteering. Um, We have our largest fundraiser to AIDS Walk coming up. And as we think about age appropriate, that's a great place for families and kids to talk about or start to talk about it, but also have fun. Go get their um, face painted or lips red from MAC, um, Be the Glam. It is definitely an experience, not just a walk uh, with all the vendors and Uh, And so starting to get out and and do some of those things, of course, there are more meaningful volunteer opportunities as well that aren't as family friendly. That may be a little bit more work work, Uh, but and then um, donate. But my biggest thing would be to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. To have conversations just like we're having and someone who's living with HIV what is their life like? I mean, what does a life look like for someone who who has this? I mean, I know that they can live a very fulfilling, amazing life still. Thank goodness there have been a lot of treatments available. But to your earlier point, um, the equity component is still very much a part of the conversation. But just give our listeners like a taste of what life is like for someone living with HIV. That is an extremely difficult question to answer, Um, (laughs) primarily because it's like saying, what does somebody's life with um, cancer that's in remission look like or diabetes look like? It could look like a myriad of things. So I am um, president and CEO of RAIN. I've been in the field for 15 years. I've been positive for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of our clients have a very different experience living with HIV. 
Um, I have privileges that were afforded to me from birth that make my life a little bit easier. Um, and, and others don't have those privileges or um, haven't been able to get themselves a higher level of education or a, a good paying job. Um, and with the way the housing market is in Charlotte, uh, a lot of them are getting pushed out to surrounding counties where a lot of the resources are not as plentiful as in Mecklenburg County. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is, that is a difficult question to answer because each life is, is different. Um, but medically speaking, if someone is on HIV treatment, Mm -hmm. a lot of times they don't even notice that they're, they don't even remember that they're positive. Um, so there are no symptoms. There are no signs, um, during sexual encounters, they don't need to use condoms. Um, because if they are effectively on treatment, they cannot pass the virus to their partner. And now we're seeing all of these models for prevention as well. So we've really come a long way medically. Um, And I used to tell people for about the last 10 years, whenever we would um, talk about being diagnosed, it's not really a medical problem as much as it was, but it's still very much a social problem. Mm -hmm. So there are still people that have to date and, want to have kids and need to have those conversations, um, want to get married. Uh, and you can do all that, but sometimes it's, it's scary for people living with HIV, knowing that the person that they're telling may not be educated. So it goes all the way back to that education piece and may not know that they can remain HIV negative and be in a healthy filling relationship with someone who's HIV positive, regardless of gender. Could you sort of just talk about how RAIN started? We'd just love to know more about, you know, the nonprofit itself. RAIN is uh, a nonprofit that celebrated our 30th year anniversary last year. Yay. So we started in 1992. Um, We started out of a need for um, really end of life care. Our founder was a minister and she convened communities of faith to take on clients, or at that time, we were calling the communities of faith care teams and the clients care partners, and they would really help them die with dignity. And that was our mission back then, Mm -hmm. to help those living with HIV die with dignity. That just shows you how far we've medically come because now Rain's tagline is live fully with or without HIV. So to just have watched not only the medical evolution, but also Rain's evolution um, has been an incredible journey. I have been in the field uh, for about 15 years. I've been at Rain for the majority of, of that time. And so having watched it as an employee and even before I got here has, has been incredible. I personally... Um, was a a summer between my junior and senior year in college at UNC Charlotte when I was diagnosed. Um, So I had been in a long-term relationship. My my partner and I had been together since senior year in high school. I found out I was pregnant and they told me I was also positive. So it was quite the shot going into my senior year. 
Um, but I had my son in April of my senior year, graduated in May, and I started working in the field in November. Just from your journey, I know this is like a loaded question, but not only from what you've been through personally, but with all of the people you've interacted with over your career so far, what are some things that just you've learned just again from this experience or from again, just working in the field? I've learned that people get very uncomfortable when you start talking about um, personal experience. So I can talk about HIV in my job all day, but then when I tell people that I'm living with HIV, I get a very different reaction. Wow. Um, and it, it ranges from, I see fear in people's face to pity um, to like, just, I don't really know how to react. So I'm just going to stare. <laughs> I'm just going to stand here and stare at you. Um, <laughs> in the earlier days, I got a lot more negative reaction. Now I get kind of a more politically correct stare or, um, you know, I just read faces. <laughs> so I think that's one. And I think that is indicative of, of the fact that we don't talk about it enough. And I know that people know other people living with HIV, but you'll never know who they are because they're not comfortable telling or saying, saying that they're positive. Um, I have learned that HIV is not always, but very heavily tied to poverty um, and other social economic um, factors. I think that the younger pop generation definitely cares if they get HIV but when you start talking about HIV it's not as it's not as scary I think people are um, definitely feel like it's not a problem anymore this is the Charlotte newsmakers podcast you turn to stay in touch with the city around you. Broadcast news isn't what it used to be, and commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch. If only there was one place you could get it all, when you want, wherever you want, on your schedule, there is the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. listener who has maybe been diagnosed and doesn't know how to have those conversations or has a family member who, you know, has HIV and they want to help them or empower them, what would just be your advice to, to those people? Baby steps, baby steps. I, when I was working in the um, front lines, I would tell people who are newly diagnosed, you can always go back and tell someone you're positive, but you can never untell them. Um, so family, friends, um, now that the law has passed in North Carolina, you don't have to disclose to your sexual partners. Um, so as long as you're undetectable or the virus is, um, is suppressed, for longer than six months, 
you can't transmit it to your sexual partner. So by law, you do not have to tell them. That becomes a tricky situation. I like to try to walk people through that in, in comfort and in, in using their comfort level. I think, especially for positive women, that can put them in a scary situation, depending on who their partner is and how they react when you do tell them. Um, but it also should give people a layer of of comfort to know that everything is on on their time and really have to get comfortable with yourself first. And I would also say that there are good days and there are bad days. Um, so I have had good days where I feel like I don't really care that I'm positive. I don't care that everybody knows. I don't care that I've done all these news stories about my own diagnosis. Um, and then I'll hear my fifth or sixth grade boy say something where I'm like, oop, I'm going to have to have that conversation with him soon. And I remember what it was like in the beginning when I was first diagnosed and, um, and had to tell my oldest, who was 18 now, and and those feelings of fear and shame, they all come kind of flooding back. So you have your good days and you have your bad days. Just remember that the bad days are just that and it'll roll back to the good days. I love that. And I know you were saying that we get a ton of federal funding or not a ton, but, you know, we, we get a good amount of federal funding, which is a positive um, here in Mecklenburg County. But is there any part of you that thinks from a municipal level, you know, whether it's the, the health department per se, um, or city officials, even county officials, um, that maybe they could be talking about this issue or anything you'd like to see from them or any call to action you'd like to provide. And if not, that's totally fine too, but just wanted to open that up if you did. You know, the funny thing is, had you asked me a year and a half, two years ago, I would have had a lot of suggestions for the health department, but I have seen them make a lot of changes. Um, I'm actually really, really happy with our health department right now and um, their ability to sort of step outside the box and really work with community educations, uh, excuse me, community organizations and the community themselves to, to listen and hear and make changes for what we need. If I had one call to action, it would be for the school board. Um, because I think it starts at a young age and I know that it is tricky with parents, um, but these kids have the world at their fingertips. Um, they have Pornhub at their fingertips. They have TikTok, which can be grossly inappropriate. Um, they are getting the information. They are consuming things that may or may not be correct. I'm not saying we need to have like visuals or full on sex education in the fourth grade, but let's start normalizing some of this. Let's call a penis a penis and talk about body parts and then work our way up just like we do with math. We start small and age appropriate and we work our way up to the more complex things. That would be my, my biggest call to action is that we, it really needs to start at a younger age and, and education needs to happen more consistently, but adults are really uncomfortable with the topic. Um, how do we expect to move past 
where we are now as one of the top 25 areas in the nation. Last question is, is there anything else you want to add that I'm missing? The only other thing would be prep. Um, I touched on it a little bit, but prep is now uh, one pill once a day, or it can be an injection. Um, Much like birth control, you have options and somebody who is not living with HIV can access either the pill or the injection um and six injections a year so every other month and just like birth control once you stop you become you can become at risk again but it is an effective tool in our toolbox to slow down or end hiv um and if any of your listeners are interested um they can contact rain and we can link them to a prep prescribing provider or help them access if they don't have insurance Mecklenburg County does pay for people who are uninsured to access breath if they want. Charlotte Newsmakers Podcast is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network and is recorded at the QCPN Studios in Uptown Charlotte. Producers are Alex Elich, Jess Dyer, and Brian Baltashevitz. Production manager is Taylor Robinson. If you have a story for us or a topic you think we should cover in depth, send us an email at hello at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. queencitypodcastnetwork.com.